You're listening to the Co-Creator Network. When you change the way you look at things, the things you look at change. Good afternoon. Welcome to Why Shamanism Now, a practical path to authenticity with your host, Christina Pratt. Director of the Last Mask Center for Shamanic Healing. She's talking about how shamanic skills can bring us to physical, emotional, mental, and spiritual well-being, especially when nothing else can. Now, here's your host, Christina Pratt. Well, welcome everyone to Why Shamanism Now. This is your host, Christina Pratt. And I would like to begin here today by calling in the helping spirits. So we start first with your ancestors and with mine. I call out to all of those who bring that which is good and true and beautiful in our ancestral lines to us. Those people who lived well and died well, who met the challenges of their time with courageous hearts. I call out to all of those ancestors who led from the heart. Those who were warriors for that which they loved. Those who were healers. And those who are true visionaries for what could be in the world, if we truly understand what it means to expand our human hearts and love all life. So I call out to these ancestors to be with us here today because they have lived, they have walked, and they know. They know what it means to be a human met with these challenges in life. And I ask them to gather around us here today because we are the living and the living need help. And I ask them to be with us, to guide us, that we might rise to the challenges of our day with that same courage in our hearts to do what is being called on us to do, to do what is necessary for those who are coming, and to do what is needed to truly manifest that face of, of the divine that each one of us has come here to be. And so I call out to these ancestors to gather around us here today, and I give great, great gratitude for their presence. And with the ancestors gathered round, let us reach our awareness down from our head to our heart and our heart down to our belly. And from our belly, let us reach out to the earth itself and to this ever so essential ancestor, the earth. Let us reach out and give gratitude for her dreaming. We give gratitude for her dream of life that allows us to be here in such rich diversity, so many different living things, the plants and the animals and the bugs and the weather and the geography and the people and all the many things unnamed. We give thanks to the energy of the earth for the beauty of life, for the wonder in this day and for the miracle that is life itself. We give thanks for the deep wisdom of the body to heal and the capacity of the human heart to grow ever bigger as needed by the challenges at hand. So we give thanks to the energy of the earth and reach down through all the layers of the earth, all the way down to the very center of the earth, reaching into this essential energy. And let us take a moment and allow ourselves to feel that peace, stillness, darkness, silence. To be in this deep earth energy and reach into the essence of this energy and ask the energy of the earth to come up, to rise up through all the layers of the earth into our bodies, into our day, into these proceedings. And to bring to us this quality of energy that by its very nature restores and rejuvenates and replenishes us. This energy that supports us in doing the challenging things in life, with like being dependable and trustworthy being uh, someone that others can depend on. So we call out to the energy of the earth and we ask it to help us to ground ourselves, to find a sense in our own life within ourselves of place, of hearth, of home, and in that to also feel our connection to others, to feel our sense of belonging to this great circling of life between the ancestors and the living and those who are coming. And we ask the energy of the earth to help us do this in a way that we open our hearts to the diversity around us and we understand that it is in the other that we will find ourselves. It is not in gathering around ourselves those who already agree with us, but in opening our table, opening our home to those who see things differently, 
that we might be challenged to grow, to grapple uh, with our new ideas and to become more than we were. So we give thanks to the other and to the rich abundance of otherness in the beauty of life here on earth. And we ask the energy of the earth to help us to begin to feel a sense of oneness within ourselves, a sense of connection, a sense of interconnection, and ultimately the sense of interdependency and connection that allows us ultimately to feel the great oneness of all things. And in that moment, even if it's just a tiny split second, let us take from that moment of oneness, right relationship with ourself, right relationship with the environment, right relationship with others and right relationship with the invisible world. And so with the energy of the earth moving within us and drawing the energy of the earth up, let us draw it up through our body, from our belly to our hearts and our hearts to our minds. And let us rise up out to the top of the head, out through the sky and whatever amazing weather it holds for you on this day. And out through the atmosphere and out into the cosmos. And let your energy be caressed by the heavenly bodies and caress them. And keep reaching and reaching all the way to the highest power of the universe. And by whatever name you know this energy, in whatever way you understand it, to connect with this energy, reaching all the way up and touching this energy. Don't stand in awe at arm's length, but connect with this energy. Connecting with this highest power of the universe and drawing down now through all the layers of the sky into your body, into your day, into these proceedings, drawing down the energy from above and bringing into your life the essence energy of blessing. Bring it in throughout your life, into yourself, into your day, into all those that you will touch. Drawing down the essence energy of protection, drawing down the energy of devotion and generosity the benevolence of our universe, the great beneficence of all that is, and drawing in all the wisdom of the cosmos. So we call these energies in, drawing them down from our head to our heart and our heart to our belly, and we send them all the way down to the center of the earth. And in this way, we choose to open ourselves and to be that connection between heaven and earth, uh, the earth and sky, the two great lovers, the yin and the yang energies. And we ask these energies to come together within us in this big love and to awaken the spirit of our own hearts, our own human hearts. And with that spirit awakened, may we call forth in the heart this great and unique power of the heart to be this crucible of change and transformation that can hold both the fiery passions of our belly that carry within us this great longing for why we are here and can draw down the crystal clarity of the mind, the ability to see and to discern and to choose. We call these energies down and let these two energies dance together in the heart in such a way that our clarity and our longing come together and give birth to this third and most sacred thing, which is a sense of why we are here, a memory of why we have come, and that understanding of how to bring that gift into the world that we so long to do. And in this heart, this little human heart of yours, may you also find the courage to do something in this day, large or small, to bring that gift, to bring that purpose out into manifestation in the world. So I give great gratitude for these energies above and below and around. And I also give great thanks to you, to Sylvia, to Maria, to Malama, and all the other listeners who have donated to the show since we last gathered. If this show is meaningful to you in any way, if it moves you, even if it moves you to frustration and irritation, and you feel challenged and you want to send me a bunch of questions because you just don't agree, that's lovely. And it means you've been moved. And if you are moved in the heart, I ask you to take that most shamanic of actions and allow that movement in the heart to motivate your actions in the world and to do something to help the show to grow. If you are able to donate financially, we are deeply grateful. Everything that you donate goes directly to keeping the show on the air. And you can donate any amount, large or small. It, uh, we are grateful for all of it. You can go to whyshamanismnow.com to the show website. Click on the support button. Donate any amount, large or small, that you choose to. If you are uncomfortable paying for things through the Internet, you are welcome to just email me at christina at lastmasscenter.org, and I would be happy to send you a regular old address for a regular old check. That would be just fine. 
Um, so we are grateful for that. And I am also grateful to those of you that are not able to donate financially, that you use your creativity, you journey to spirit, you find something else that you can do that can give back to the show so that the energetic circling of energy, the Aini, the movement of energy continues, that there is an exchange of energy that is constantly sharing the nourishment. So many of you are far more savvy than I, and you can certainly share things on the internet and help things to move through social networking. Um, Your questions, your show ideas, all of these things are valuable. But one of the things that most moves my heart is those of you that actually take these ideas and do something with them in your life and then share with me um, what happens and that this is also deeply, deeply nourishing. So thank you all for all of that. We are live today and today is part one of a two-part show. Um, There's just too much for me to wrangle into an hour, so (laughs) it's a two-part show. Um, But anyway, if you'd like to call in about today's topic, which is the courageous heart, or actually about awakening the courageous heart, you can call in at 512-772-1938. Or you can Skype in from the co-creatornetwork.com site. Or you can simply email me at christina at lastmaskcenter.org. And I would be happy to read your um, email on the air. Or simply use your emails about today's show to help me put together um, next week's show. Um, again, this is going to be a part, part one and a part two about awakening the courageous heart. So... Um, you know, I had a little bit of a rough winter. There's been a lot going on in the, my kind of personal space. And um, consequently, I feel I, I was been thinking recently with the show is like, where are we? What are we doing? Where, where, where did we go? Because, you know, back in December of 2012, we had the big, the big solstice that was the ending of, of, a, of a world as the native people in North America talk about and the beginning of a new world. And in the endings and beginnings, which there are many of in life, there are always transitional times. And that last year we spoke a lot about that transition and how to be in transition and what you wanted to begin to think about to gestate and to change. And how do we begin to become, truly become new people that will write a new story for a new world, just not a new version of the same old pattern. And in this time, um, I've seen many, many moments of seeing that things are changing. So those of you that, that think nothing happened because the aliens didn't come and rescue us, just didn't really have the right picture in your head. There was a huge change. And there are many, many examples of things moving towards this new story and this new world. And I've tried to bring on guests that could begin to illuminate that path for us. But at the same time, those who benefit from the old story and the old world are holding ever more tightly to that which they believe is theirs. And so there are also some things that seem to be getting worse. And and this is where we are. What did we expect? This is where we are. And so I've been thinking about this, you know, what needs to happen? You know, what given where we are in this, given who we are, given our very short lifetimes in this, in this great span of time, like talking about a new world, it's huge, huge numbers of years. Where are we? Who are we? What are we doing? What needs to happen? And I go back to where I go often when I, when I wonder, what is it that humanity needs to begin to do the right thing. I mean, let's face it. I was born in 1960. My, the world, the backdrop of my life has been in constant change. Civil rights, women's rights, um, rights about gender variance, rights about who gets to have sex with whom, who gets to marry whom. My entire life has constantly been about social change. So I don't really expect anything different. So it's all about change. So for me, the more interesting question is what needs to happen so it's a new story? I'm so tired of the old one and all the new versions of the old story. And I come back to the exact same place again and again and again. My whole life, courage. I used to play this game with myself. What would you do if you actually were suddenly, you know, 
beamed up to the gods. And you were given one chance to ask for one thing that you could take back to humanity. And I always thought, you know, if that ever happened and I wasn't ready with an answer, I would definitely screw that moment up, you know, and be just kicked back down to humanity, having wasted that opportunity to bring something back to the people. What would you ask for if you could bring anything back to the people? And for me, the answer has always been the same, is courage. People are capable of doing the right thing. People are capable of amazing acts of transformation and healing and warriorship and leadership and vision. Amazing things when they find the courage for that. And often it's not that they're looking for the courage. It's that they are in a situation where what needs to happen is so obvious they can't not do it. But that quality in them that allows them to see it that way is courage. So here we are today in this show, Courage. One of the things that I teach, I teach several versions of it, but one of the things I teach is this process called Awakening the Courageous Heart. Because what I observe is that people line themselves up They get aligned. They're ready to go forward. And the thing that robs their energy and takes them down is their addictions. What I see in people, and I include myself in these people. I'm not talking about everybody else. I'm talking about me too. Is how many people are so ready to go forward and they do not realize that they hold back because some part of them needs to know but I need to know this before. I need to know my soul's purpose before I can live it. When actually you don't. You just need to know the next step. And another thing is this dynamic that contemporary people, at least Americans, really get into, which is trying to do it right, trying to do it perfectly, trying to be a good person who's a right person and and doing it perfectly instead of just trying to feel where's the power. And how to move forward based on this true power, even if it's messy, even if we're clumsy, even if we fall on our face doing it, we've brought it forward and that's all that matters. And I notice people collapsing out of this gorgeous work for themselves, for their vision, for their people, for their company, for whatever it is they're doing. And they just collapse into being fixated on some part that's not working. And they lose the whole faith in the whole thing because one part isn't working. Well, I'm here to tell you, every single person who is of an age to be listening to this radio show right now, I would bet for the rest of our lives, we will be plagued by huge things in our culture that are not working. That cannot be a reason we don't do what we need to do. It cannot be. We are in a transitional time. There's going to be stuff all over the place not working constantly for our whole lifetimes. It can't matter. It can't be the reason to bring the whole vision down. And all of these things that I've just talked about, and I'm sure you found yourself in one of them. I find myself in all four of them. All of these things that people do, We all do them. Come out of a lack of courage in the heart. Not because we're not coming from the heart, but because we don't understand the heart. Because we live in a culture that has denied its wisdom, denied its value, denied uh, the courage and the integrity in the people that choose to live based on some sense of truth they find in their heart. Instead, people are considered foolish for standing up for what they believe is right and true and has heart and meaning. So this is why I feel it is critically important that we engage in awakening our courageous heart, but we do so in a way that is not based in these deep misunderstandings of what the heart is and what it's about but that we base this transformational work to awaken the courage in our heart on, on 
an understanding of the heart that is older than our culture. Because I, I don't believe in, in the time frame of the Western world that we have ever really understood, really understood in a way, in the heart, in a way that is not racist, sexist, um, classist, et cetera, et cetera. And so we need to reach back further. And for me, that's been shamanism. I mean, duh, that's no big surprise, right? Okay, so when I was a child, there's a little story. When I was a child, I had a very, very special teacher. He taught um, sixth grade at my grade school. And he was very important to me at that time. Because I was very uncertain about myself. Um, one of many times I've been very uncertain about myself. And I had grown and physically matured, as they say, uh, between fifth grade and sixth grade. And the world was responding to me very differently. At least that's how I used to tell the story. But the, the truth I would speak now is that men were responding differently to me. And in particular, young men were completely inappropriate, given the fact that I was 11 years old. So there in the midst of this confusion was this man in my life, this sixth grade teacher, whom I thought was very handsome and had an enormous crush on. So now I would add to that, now reflecting back, he was also very intelligent, very kind, and he was an exceptional teacher. He is one of those people that probably, as they would say, could have done more with his life. But he did what he did because he was a teacher, truly, in his heart. He was an exceptional teacher. So he had this way of redirecting my fear and confusion and neediness and my little child self into my schoolwork. And I really have no idea how he did this, but he was exceptional at this. He would redirect me somehow into my work. He would spark that curiosity in me so that I would actually go find my own answers to whatever I was looking for. And so when I think back, I just realized how truly exceptional this man was. Because I think of how terribly wrong this situation could have gone. How terribly, terribly wrong at that time in my life. And instead it went beautifully right because of this man. So anyway, so here I am. I'm 11. I'm in sixth grade in public school in Oregon. And I'm given an assignment with everybody else in class to write about love. And we're to explore love by exploring its opposite. And the opposite of love was left up to us, a little group of 11-year-olds. And so we were a class of little white Americans, um, and we all assumed the opposite of love was hate. I mean, we were living in the Cold War. We were still diving under our desks regularly for bomb raid drills. I mean, of course, that was the opposite. It was love and hate. So here I am getting ready to write my essay, and in my desperate desire to convey my love for this teacher through this essay, I had these, these very mature questions I had framed in my mind, and I went up to his desk to ask him these terribly mature questions about my essay. Um, and in return, he questioned me. He said, is hate the opposite of love? I was stunned. I, I didn't know what to say. And so he asked me to close my eyes and imagine feeling love, which was, of course, frighteningly easy to do standing there with this man I had this horrible crush on. And then he suggested I imagine not feeling any love. And then he asked me, what did that feel like? He said, do you feel hate? And I said, no. And I hesitated and I just said, I feel afraid. And he didn't say anything. So I opened my eyes. And I saw in his eyes the thing that made him so special as a teacher. I saw him seeing me. Seeing the person I could be. And encouraging that person 
as if she were obvious and inevitable. And I was riveted to that spot and absolutely speechless. And he just smiled gently and suggested I go back to my desk and write an essay about love and fear. Now, I was, of course, sure this was a trick because it was supposed to be love and hate. But that's what he'd said. And so I did it. You know, and in that way, he had done it again. He had just deftly redirected my insecurity and my confusion and my desperate need to please into my larger self. He'd sparked my curiosity and set me off in this really interesting direction, even for an 11-year-old. And this is a direction that forever altered my understanding of love. At home that night, my mom brought out books like The Prophet by Gabron and, and helped me to explore this relationship between love and fear. I mean, this is what the mystics talk about. And what the hell did I know? I'm just this little white girl in Southern Oregon, right, in public school. So I came to see that to love is a choice. It's a choice that we make, not because everything feels good or because it's happily ever after. I came to see that we humans who are often in fear of one kind of another, that the choice to love is the choice to step out of that fear. So here we are more than 40 years later, talking on the radio, and I find the helping spirits working ceaselessly, ceaselessly to teach me the same thing and my own students again and again and again. This message is really important. That we are either in love or fear at any moment, period. And where we stand is our choice. And in that fact is great solace. When we are in fear, we are not as lost as we feel. We are not as far off center as it feels. We really can right ourselves. Because when we are in fear, we need only take one step. We need only to choose love and step into the unknown. It's just love and fear. So they're never more than one step apart. That's all there is. And love is never more than that one step away. Because there are only two steps. Love and fear so this is why the spirits in my shamanic practice teach again and again about the courage of the heart Uh, because to choose love and to step out of fear into the unknown takes enormous courage and that to continue to choose love with all the reasons life gives us to drop into fear takes enormous courage And it takes courage every day, every single day of our lives. I like this quote by Delmore Schwartz. Love is the most difficult and dangerous form of courage. Courage is the most desperate, admirable, and noble kind of love. So I believe personally that love or the choice to love is the warriorship of our time. I believe that actually fighting wars, literally going and fighting wars, is of the old story. And now I I mean no disrespect to those who are fighting the wars. I'm just saying the whole idea that we need to be fighting these wars is old story. It is the old world. It is the essence of the old world. It is the old overt battle over resources uh, that arises out of our fear. It arises out of our fear of scarcity. It arises out of that fear that there won't be enough. There won't be enough for my people. As if at this time on the planet, we can't see there is no my people. We're all in this together. We are the people. So this comes out of this old story. Our fear of scarcity, that there won't be enough which is really the fear that we aren't enough, right? That I'm not enough, not worthy, not lovable. That there is a scarcity in my life of my love for myself, 
right? So it is a war based on the fear of, of believing. It's a great fear to believe that through cooperation and connection, there could be abundance that we all share, that we could be enough. This means that we are afraid to know what our older ancestors knew and lived successfully all over the world. The Quechua, for example, call it Aini, and it is the movement of love between people, plants, animals, the world, the invisible world, and the constant cycling, the energetic exchange of things. It is the core understanding of shamanic cultures, pre-contact, and it is an understanding that we need now. And it takes great courage standing here now with the weight of the old story behind us in our experience shaping our childhood. It takes great courage to believe anything other than the old story. But I speak here today to say that our older ancestors knew and lived successfully a different story. And that story was sustainable. And I see this, though, this fear to believe in a new story. I see it in my own student community. Learning the shamanic teachings is not the struggle. The transformation the shamanic teachings drag people through, not the struggle. It is finding the courage to live now differently in the face of the old story. That is the struggle. And I see it in my student community constantly as we as we support each other in living our shamanic teachings. It's not the shamanic teachings that are the problem. It's the courage it takes to live them. And yet today, people are born all over the world of multiple, multiply mixed races. Right? There are children all over Facebook who've solved huge problems that the adults around them continue to stumble over, like clean water in drought-ridden countries in Africa. Right. There's gender variance rippling and flowing through cultures all around the world. I mean, there's even people producing advertisements, which takes a whole lot of money just to thumb their noses at regressive policies around gayness in at the Olympics. Right. The old story doesn't resonate as true in more and more lives, and especially the young ones. So why are we so afraid? And yet it takes great courage to love what could be enough to create something new with our lives. So what does this have to do with shamanism? Right? I'm going on and on on my little soapbox here about the courageous heart. What the hell does this have to do with shamanism? I think it has everything to do with shamanism. because we all have to go back to our ancestors who lived shamanically to find people that lived without the kinds of biases and prejudices that kept them from truly living in their courageous hearts. That it is, there's a struggle in my community that we call it a shamanic community and a spiritual community and that makes some people feel like they don't want to be part of the community because they see themselves as spiritual people, not shamanic people necessarily. And my perspective is we need to honor those ancestors who actually got it together, who actually understood how to live with a courageous heart without bias, without, now this is not every single shamanic culture, but the majority, lived with courageous, awakened hearts and understood what it takes to be living beings here in love and respect for all other living beings. So my question for you as shamanic practitioners is have you explored the true nature of love, not just your personal romantic love, but love and what it means to live in love? What does that mean? Have you explored that with your helping spirits? Because what I see is many people, they learn to journey, and then they learn the healing forms, and then they begin a shamanic practice. They don't necessarily use their relationship with their helping spirits to explore huge assumptions that they've made as contemporary people about the big things in life. And then there's many people who, who don't go that core shamanism route. And they do some really interesting one or two year program to explore becoming a shamanic healer, which is interesting. As I've said, it's all really interesting to do. 
but it doesn't mean it's necessary. And it doesn't mean you're diving in to these kinds of understandings that must be changed. Because without understanding love and life and death and the afterlife very, very differently than we do as contemporary people, we aren't really practicing shamanism. We are just contemporary people with a new skill, the ability to journey and get help from our helping spirits. But we aren't thinking, living, understanding the world through a shamanic lens. We aren't shamanic people in the contemporary world until we understand what the indigenous shaman means when she says all true power is mediated through the heart. So what does the courageous heart have to do with shamanism then? Well, basically, from my experience, which means basically doing everything the hardest way possible and making a lot of mistakes. So in my experience, I believe that I am not really practicing shamanism or I was not really practicing shamanism until I understood love differently. And that I must be able to choose love again and again and again in the face of my fears if I'm going to truly practice from a shamanism, from a shamanic perspective. And I don't think we're practicing shamanism until we're doing it from a shamanic perspective. And I don't mean this whole choosing love again and again in the face of fear in this clean, um, precise, new agey way. I mean this in a messy clumsy tango with my shadow, with my fears, with my unresolved energy, with my ancestors, because that that is exactly what it means to love yourself, is you love it all. So the love that I'm talking about is not this rush to forgiveness, that's the salve on all of our hurts, but is the courage to love the self that hurts and follow that path of healing and learn what is needed fold after fold on that journey, turn after turn, until you arrive at forgiveness naturally and a forgiveness that doesn't require forgetting. The love that I'm talking about is not the niceness we employ because we do not have the courage to be honest with others, but the courage to say, regardless of what others expect, that I expect honesty from myself and the grace and the patience to offer it to others. The love that I am talking about is not the need to care for everyone so that they will like us. It is the love that understands I must care for myself first. Yes, put the oxygen mask on yourself first before you put on your child's, right? That you must care for yourself first to even begin to find the right relationship with others. And thus, this is the love that has the courage to put yourself first. The love that I am talking about knows when to allow something dear and truly beloved to die. Because it has the courage to surrender to a timing offered by life. And the love I am talking about is not the choice to do anything and to be anyone to save a relationship. It is the love that has the courage to enjoy being alone because you refuse to be anyone but yourself. The love I am talking about will change our world. And it is the only thing that can. Because without it, we won't write a different story. It will be new, but it won't be different. If we want to write a truly different new story for the new world... We must be these kinds of lovers. So the teachings of the courageous heart are threaded through the four years of the cycle teachings. You know, there's, we, we weave, it weaves through each year. Each year has some part of the learning, the true, the full teaching of the courageous heart. And these teachings, the cycle teachings, begin again in August, by the way, for those of you who are interested. Mass of Illusion and the Authentic Self is part one of year one. It's on the website. You can register now. Send in your deposit. So that's the biggest version of awakening your courageous heart, the fullest. But back in 2009, 2010, when things changed in the world, 
uh, for everybody but the 1%. And people didn't believe that they had the resources to spend time in retreats. The cycle teachings basically stopped for a year. They kind of ground to a halt. Um, So to try to figure out what was I supposed to do with my life? If I wasn't teaching the cycle teachings, what was I supposed to do? Well, the first thing I thought is, well, maybe I don't have to be a shaman anymore. Maybe I can go do something else. Well, that didn't really work. And I didn't went through ego deaths and asked, what did I need to let die and thrashed around and got angry and did a whole bunch of things. But the bottom line was I looked at the cycle teachings and I pulled some threads to see if I could pull anything out of the four year cycle teachings that could be coherent in and of themselves out in the world. And so I would say that the full two-weekend version of Awakening the Courageous Heart is not exactly the same as what you get in the cycle teachings. But it is a really powerful piece of work in its own right. So I pulled that thread, this thread of the Courageous Heart, because I saw that the choice of fear, this this was normalizing that it was becoming more and more normal for people to be in fear. And part of this was the incredible eight years of fear mongering by the Bush administration. I mean, it completely normalized being in ridiculous levels of fear about things that weren't even real. And then the financial collapse sort of proved it to many people in their own minds. And people just kept stepping further and further into fear. It got to the point where in any conversation that I wasn't willing to be fear-based in, people treated me like I was insane. Like, what are you thinking? To have any hope, to have any vision, you know, it's like people just treated me like I was insane. So I pulled that thread because I thought, well, back to my question, what do people need? Well, if they need anything, they need courage. And so I pulled the thread of awakening the courageous heart um, so that people would be able to make new choices and would be able to choose love even in the face of their own fears. So this awakening the courageous heart is offered once a year. And this year it's offered, uh, begins at the end of this month, February 28th to March 2nd, I think, in Tucson. So for those of you that freezing your little tuchuses off in various parts of the world right now, come and join us, warm up. Um, and begin the awakening of your courageous heart. The second piece, it's a two-part process. The second piece happens in October, same place, um, several months later, after we've had time to do the transformation necessary that allows the final awakening. So you can go um, to the website, lastmaskcenter.org, and register, or follow the links to register. So When I talk about this class, what is most interesting is people always say, but I feel like I come from my heart. Why should I need to do this? And this is exactly the point of this work. I hear this all the time, but this is exactly what Spirit has been trying to show me for all these 40 years, is that many of us feel we are coming from the heart, and we are. Many of us are very comfortable in the heart. We do great work from the heart, and this feeling is the feeling of being comfortable in one chamber of the heart. And the heart has four chambers. So actually today, the ordinary person does not come, you know, the ordinary person doesn't really come from the heart at all. They come from the head. They just think about love, right? They don't actually get into their heart because there's too many unresolved feelings there to really get down in there. But, But many of you listening to the show are the kind of person that is willing to do that. And you have engaged in some way and to some degree. So most people listening to the show probably do feel that they come from the heart. Or that they're too emotional or too this, that, that this is not unexplored territory. But I would say that people who feel they come from the heart are actually operating in their familiar, most comfortable chamber of the heart. And that most people don't realize that this familiar feeling is not your heart. It is your favorite chamber of your heart. And that feeling of being too emotional, your boundaries are too porous, I'm too empathic, I'm too this, I'm too that from the heart, is that the other chambers of the heart aren't working with the one you're comfortable in. And in particular, the warriorship of the heart and the innate capacity once the heart is working as a whole to protect the heart. That protect, protecting the heart is actually a separate gesture from the actual awakening of the courageous heart and operation of the courageous heart. So the truth, in truth, the heart has four chambers, both physically, 
literally and energetically. And each chamber needs to be fully operational. And together, the four chambers nourish and sustain each other. And that's really important to understand is if one chamber is shut down because of past hurt, past broken hearts, past whatever, um, the heart actually can't nourish and sustain itself over time because the chambers need to work together constantly. And so when we operate from one chamber we engage, uh, and we love our work and we feel passionate about what we're doing and we feel fully guided by the heart and we're engaging, engaging, engaging from this one chamber of the heart, we burn out. I mean, how many beautiful, heartfelt shamanic teachers do you know who have heart troubles, who have heart attacks, who have quadruple bypass surgery? And you just think, how could this be? This person is so heartfelt. Why is their heart collapsing? Well, it's because we are overusing one chamber and not allowing the natural sustaining and maintaining function of the heart to happen. And it's very, very, very common. I mean, I was doing it. That's how I learned this because the helping spirit said, this is why you're crashing. This is what you need. I mean, it's like, not like I am some genius. It's just been there, done that, learning this the hard way kind of thing. So, so if we do the work then to awaken each chamber and allow them then to nourish and sustain each other, it creates a kind of balance. And this takes several months. This is not like you can do the journey and get the answer and you're done. This takes time because the patterns we've established around our heart are lifelong patterns. But they do come into balance. There is nothing that can transform, given the right impetus, more freely and fully than the heart. And the heart is just waiting to be taken out of this prison. You don't even realize you have it in. So once the chambers are in balance, they give us access then to the four powers of the heart. And then you begin to become a force to be reckoned with in the world. So in other words, many people come from one chamber of the heart and they are a force to be reckoned with. They're amazing, amazing teachers, healers, whatever they are, visionaries. And there's a certain fragility or... um dissonance with them and it is that fact that their heart isn't actually working in all four chambers there's nothing wrong with what they're doing other than the fact that they're doing it in a way that is not healthful for them so once we've got all the chambers awakened and they're all nourishing and sustain each other and they're balancing each other then we begin to access the real power the heart has to offer which is power And so we begin to understand what the shamans are talking about when they say true power is mediated by the heart. And so the powers of the heart are power, love, vision, and wisdom. And when all the chambers are working, all the powers are available to come together in the heart in this constant um, co-creation of all of the chambers into this truly wholehearted, you know, heartfelt action in the world. And so this is the perfect work. So the Awakening the Courageous Heart, double weekends, right? This work is the perfect work to suspect, for people who suspect that they are engaging in spiritual bypass in their practice, whatever their practice might be. And there's spiritual bypass and there's energetic bypass, right? You maybe don't think you have a spiritual practice, but you have an energy practice, right? And you're still bypassing. You're not really dealing with the deep root of the um, hurt and pain that you carry inside and the wounds. I mean, people talk about their triggers as if it's okay and acceptable for things to continue to trigger you. This can be changed if you do this work. So it's particularly good work, though, for people that suspect they're doing bypass, right? Because then instead of tracking down your issues and or going to f- try to find a good therapist or finding a new spiritual practice – Right, because you're bypassing in your old one, you could simply take Awakening Your Courageous Heart. It's a transformational process. You do both weekends. And this process will awaken and take you into the issues you need to deepen, to clear, to release. I mean, it brings you to what needs to happen for your heart to be able to be wholehearted in your practice. And then when you return to your practice, you'll be able to engage ever more fully. You'll be able to engage from your whole heart and you'll begin to evolve in your practice in ways that you, you didn't before. And so how do I know this? Well, I know this not only from my own experience, because I, but because I have had the honor of some seriously kick-ass practitioners um, taking this class. 
this this double class series and it's lovely to have them in class because they journey very deeply and they're very clear and they share their process with such humility and grace and each and every one of them was shocked to find out that what I'm saying is true and I'm not saying it because Christina is so smart I'm saying it because this is what the helping spirits have taught me this is a piece out of the cycle teachings that is really important this idea that the heart has this greater landscape and that if we can simply understand it and awaken it within ourselves so that it's operational it changes absolutely everything so what all these people experienced is that they really were evolved in one chamber they were kind of sort of okay in another chamber and they were really probably not okay in the third chamber and that one chamber was totally blocked and it takes a great deal of humility for someone like me or other practitioners who feel very heart full in their practice to realize wow i have an entire chamber of my heart that is absolutely impossible to get into it is blocked to me at this time. It takes great humility to realize that. But man, once you do and go through the work to change that situation, it is absolutely astounding what changes. So this is the purpose really of awakening the courageous heart is to get us, whether we are practitioners or parents or just everyday whatever, we just want to do what we've come here to do. We just want to participate as fully as we can. Participating in a wholehearted way is at the core of what it means to function shamanically in the world. So the important thing to understand about awakening the courageous heart is that it is a transformational process. It is a shamanic transformation. And so this means that you do need to know how to journey because you will be working in a non-ordinary reality landscape with your helping spirits in the class. It's not just a set of journeys that I could email to you, that there's actually a landscape with a map that a template that we need to learn to work in. And then, uh, then there's the process that happens in between the two weekends, right? And then there is the closing weekend when the actual chambers that um, have been healed are, are truly awakened and uh, through ritual and ceremony. So that really ends. The rituals put a, an end on the old story. And then awaken and begin the new story. And so I was talking about this in class recently. And this very experienced practitioner said to me, so great. That sounds really wonderful, Christina. So what's the journey I take? <laughs> I just wanted to smack her. Um, it's a bit more than one journey. You know, this is a transformational process. It takes months. It needs to be engaged with new information about what the heart means and with the template the spirits have given us. And so this is the first part that we do um, in this first weekend here at the end of February in Tucson. Once again, warm Tucson, Arizona. I just saw a beautiful picture of a lovely spring blossom in Tucson for those of you that are still digging out of your driveway. Like me right near, right now in the Pacific Northwest, we're finally getting rain, which I am not complaining about, but it is relentless and raining sideways uh, with the wind that's going on. So, you know, it'd be nice to get out, get warm, be able to feel the air on my bare arms and work with some cool people to understand what is going on in our hearts and how do we open it? How do we find that courage and awaken our hearts? So that's um, this weekend, I mean, in two weekends. So we engage the landscape of the heart in non-ordinary reality to determine in the current state of the chambers of the heart. And then we learn the template given by spirit for the courageous heart that talks about the cosmology of the heart. And this comes out of the psychocosmology. And then overall, the next step is to begin the transformations that are going to open and heal each chamber. And this begins with a shamanic um, ritual that we do the first weekend. It's a movement ritual to make medicine. And so each person is going to individually make the medicine with the help of spirit for each of the four chambers of the heart. Now, of course, once we make the medicine, we have to take it, 
right? And so this weekend ends with the taking of the medicine, which, which initiates this transformational process. And so then people are going to work in small groups over the months in between the two workshops, um, doing their journeys and being accountable to each other and continuing. Because the other thing about the heart is that many people's processes of healing the heart are incomplete, not because the person wasn't trying and didn't have good resources and good skills, but because the four chambers actually work together. And so I may be working on something about the wisdom of the heart and trying to really access the wisdom of my heart. And I'm only going to be able to go so far because whatever it's going to take to engage the wisdom of the heart is also going to touch on the leadership in the heart and the power in the heart, the vision in the heart, and the love in the heart, the healing in the heart, that all, all the chambers are going to be involved in healing of each individual chamber. And so we have to work on them all at once. And this is another piece that makes this work confusing if you don't have a template and a process to follow because you've got four processes happening at once that actually dovetail into each other constantly and completely illogically. Because it's following the logic of the heart. It's emotional logic. It's not mental logic. And so the mind has a tendency to want to psychoanalyze and get in the way. And so this is the main reason that those of you who have done huge heart healings, have done good work, and yet it somehow doesn't complete itself. Because we can't work on one chamber at a time. The heart is a whole and all four chambers need to be activated and operating at the same time. And, they, and the way that the chambers and the healing and the transformations work together doesn't follow logic. And so it's hard to even kind of figure out the question to journey about. Or we do it with a therapist and we, we follow a certain sort of psychological understanding. But it's not the appropriate lens through which to view this work this work is actually crazy logic work so that's another piece uh, of the reason that this work is different and powerful is that it's pulled out of the cycle teaching which has a huge thread through it more like a log big huge vine that grows through it of crazy logic of understanding when we step out of logic into crazy logic. And so part of the reason this works is when people panic and freak out because they're totally in crazy logic, I'm happy to help. That it that because of my training in the cycle teachings, I can help people with their own crazy logic. So anyway, and then we come around to the last weekend. And at this point, we've been preparing um, through our work with all four chambers of the heart, the energies we need to let go of into the fire, what needs to be released, the energies we need to let go of into the water, which is what needs to be cleansed, the energies we need to let go of into the earth, which has to do with either things we need to plant so they can gestate over time. We're not quite ready for them right in this moment, but it needs to be planted so that it's growing or it has to do with places that have been sort of quicksandy or non-existent needing to take foundation, become foundational and firm up. And then there's also the things that we need to either sacrifice fully the, um, or new vows that need to be taken to the heart. And so there's ritual that we need to do together. And these rituals are divined for this group. And so while we understand we'll need to go to the elements for the final awakening of the chambers and, and initiating this process of going forward with a whole heart that will need to go to all four elements. We don't yet know exactly what the ritual is because it will be divined at the, at the end of this transformation period based on what needs to be transformed in the people. And so we call on these four elements and the four elemental rituals um, that have been divined uniquely for this particular gathering of hearts and the healing that needs to happen there. And so together then, with the help of spirit, we awaken the courage in any heart that joins us, as long as the person carrying that heart is willing to choose love. Fierce, noble, difficult, messy, passionate love. So for those of you listening, I hope you will consider joining us uh, to do this important work. 
because this is what will help us to become the people, the new people with whole hearts who are not afraid to love in a powerful way that brings what is right and true into the world so that we can truly write a new story for the new world. Next week, we're going to talk some more about this, look at um, the common errors in our thinking about the heart and what we've learned from doing this courageous heart work for a couple decades about how to address that misunderstanding. So anyway, part two will be next week. I hope you'll join me then. I want to give thanks to the ancestral helping spirits for gathering round. Particular thanks to the spirits of the cycle teachings for helping me to learn this powerful teaching of the heart and i give thanks to the earth below and the sky above and to the hearts that unite us all thank you everyone have a good week